0: Well, today we want to talk uh, still a little bit about uh, Purim. There is, there is so much that we could say about, <laughs> about this holiday. Uh, it is rich in, in meaning on, on many levels. We could talk about anti-Semitism, you know, anti-Jewish uh, behavior in, in the world. We could, we could talk, as we did last week, you know, Amalek. Uh, about that, we could talk um, uh, about uh, uh, how uh, the Book of Esther is like a microcosm of Jewish history in, in its totality. Uh, there's there's uh, a lot that we could say. So uh, today, just for uh, a little bit, we want to try to understand the message of Purim, really the basic message of Purim, and uh, and how it relates uh, to us to us today. Uh, and so, I uh, one of the things about uh, Purim is, of course, that the holiday or, or that the Book of Esther takes place outside of the land. That's very significant. So just to refresh our understanding on why that is significant and where this is in history, because that plays a very important part in all this. So... We're familiar with uh, uh, the monarchy, right? King David, right? Familiar with King David. After King David came, then Solomon came, right? After Solomon, you had a, you had basically uh, something that was tantamount to a civil war. And then you had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, right? The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. They each had kings. Right? The only legitimate kings were in the south, that were uh, descendants of David sitting on the throne. They were all pretty much in rebellion, though. Both kingdoms in rebellion. And God sent prophets to the north and the south, right, warning them unless, that unless they repent, that they, were going, that they were going to go into exile. And we know that, they, that the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom both went into exile. The northern kingdom uh, went into exile from the uh, Assyrians, and they were just scattered everywhere, not lost but they were scattered uh, everywhere. The southern kingdom uh, was overtaken by Nebuchadnezzar, right? Uh, And they went to Babylon. Then 70 years go by. Now a group returns. Not everybody, but a group returns. Now there was a spiritual, I'll call it somewhat of a spiritual crisis at, at this time. And that was... That there was an expectation that everything that the prophets said of what that was going to happen at the end was now going to happen. Now that they they went into exile and now they're returning, uh, and now uh, there'll be peace, and now uh, you know the Messiah will come. He'll sit on his throne, and they come back, and the place is in shambles. There's all kinds of problems. There's challenges in rebuilding the temple. Uh, and the majority of people stay outside of the land. This was the first time that this had happened, that the majority of Jewish people were not living in Israel after the Babylonian captivity, right? So in a way, the exile kind of continues, right? Although people return. Now, that situation has continued to this very day. That situation has continued uh, 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 to this day. To this day, more people still live outside of the land than live inside of the land. And it's only been uh, you know, 75, 80 years uh, that, been, uh, that there's been a land of Israel, <laughs> even. Uh, you know, uh, or a nation uh, uh, called Israel uh, today. Uh, and so going back to this period of time when Jews came back after the captivity, there was like a spiritual crisis and at the end, it didn't happen, right? So this gave rise to a body of literature that you're familiar with, probably. Some of you are, right? The, uh, the apocalyptic uh, literature, uh, that, that Jewish literature that, that talks a lot about, uh, you know, uh, wars at the end, uh, that also talks about the need of you know, for holiness and spiritual battles and, and all kinds of things. That body of literature rose, May I suggest, uh, as a result of this delay of the end? Like it didn't happen, right? And so now the understanding of Israel came to be that this, the, the end is far off. It's, it's not coming right, like right now. It's not happening now. And so now we're living in this in between time, right? We're living uh, in this period of time where, where we're back from the captivity. But the majority of people are still living outside of the land with a hope uh, uh, for the future. Now, this issue of delay is a fascinating topic. This issue of it's going to happen, but maybe not at the time you think it's going to be. Okay? That plays into the story of Esther. Now, for uh, those of you that are familiar with the prophets, one of the prophets, one of the prophets who wrote before the captivity, and warn the people about, uh, you know, repenting uh, uh, was uh, the prophet Habakkuk, right? You may be familiar a little bit with uh, Habakkuk, right? I know that in some circles his name is pronounced Habakkuk, but that is, uh, that, that's, that's in the same category as Agia, okay? All right, so Habakkuk is his name, Habakkuk, uh, and uh, he writes this. And this is fascinating. He actually prophesies a delay. He prophesies that the end is not going to be when you think it is. And he says this. The vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal. It will not fail. This is in chapter 2, in verse 3. Okay? Uh, Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come. Uh, it will not delay. Okay, so that's a very interesting passage, and that becomes a uh, uh, a passage that that verse has a history, has a, a history in rabbinic literature, a history in uh, you know in Jewish teaching. Uh, that that uh, the day will come in God's time, right? That there is a purposeful delay. That uh, God God is not late. God is sovereign. God is perfect. Uh, in his timing, but we are going to wonder when it's going to be. That's basically what this prophet is saying, and that is exactly uh, what uh, what happens, uh, indeed, to this day. Don't we say that? You know, y- Yeshua came, but the coming of the Messiah is not yet complete, uh, and we wonder. We look at the world and we say, "Why is it all messed up? Where is God?" I don't see him. Uh, it seems either like he's absent. How come it's not like, you know, the uh, to use this expression, how come it's not like the Old Testament times, you know, where uh, God would strike people dead and we'd know it and then he'd judge and then, you know, bless the people. We ask, we ask that question, right? Well, God answers uh, that question also. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 31 in verse 18, When Moses is saying that you're going to go into the land and then you're going to forget about God, uh, you know, and then eventually, you know, you're going to be scattered among the nations, he says, I'm going to hide my face. He says that. I will hide my face. In Deuteronomy 31 and verse 18, I will hide my face. In history, in biblical history, you know, when I say biblical history, I mean all the way to uh, the end of the new covenant scripture. Because that, that includes the uh, Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire, right? Have you noticed in your understanding of the Bible that God doesn't seem to do that after the Babylonian captivity? After the Babylonian captivity, God doesn't strike dead the Persians or the Greeks. History, history plays out, and you see the rise and fall of empires, including the uh, Roman Empire, uh, the Muslim Empire, the uh, Spanish Empire, uh, the Ottoman Empire, and the Roman Empire. Uh, You know, uh, they come and they go. But you don't see, uh, you know, a a prophet arise and say, this is the hand of God. You see people that uh, surmise that and uh, like to maybe write books on that uh, and, uh, you know, have some kind of secret wisdom on that. Uh, but you don't see it the way you see it uh, earlier on in the text, right? And may I suggest that we continue to live in a day when God hides his face. Now, hiding his face, literally, it's like hiding his presence, right? But it's not hiding his presence like he's not there. Is that God has begun to work providentially in, the, in this world. He's still here. And he works providentially. Uh, and, uh, and the day, we know that the day will come when there will be vindication, uh, you know, and, and at the end all evil will be judged and the, um, the uh, wolf and the lamb will lie down together, right? Uh, and we know that swords will be turned into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks and all of that. Uh, is is indeed going to take place. But we are still living in this day of exile. So whether we're living in Shushan in Esther's day, or we're living in Columbus, Ohio in this day, we're in a a sense in the same boat, right? So now when we turn our attention to Esther and Mordecai and the story of Esther, they're living out of the land when there is an Israel to go to. Right, they're living uh, in uh, modern. It would be modern-day Iran. That's where they're living. Why are they living there? Because if you know your history, you know that after the Babylonian uh, Empire was the Persian Empire. It was at the beginning of the Persian Empire that Jews could return to the land. Right. Well, Persia, uh, you know, if you look at a map, it is next to where Babylon. Uh, was it is uh, Iran okay uh, and it was Persia all the way by the way to 1939 It's called Persia and it had a large Jewish population until 1979. Uh, and I remember when I was a, a new uh, believer in Yeshua I used to get a particular like magazine from a, a Jewish uh, a messianic Jewish organization and uh, they would have a this uh, this report from a, a, a man who was in Tehran, bringing the good news to Jewish people. I, I remember that it was really very uh, you know very interesting. So there's a real history of Jews, of Persian Jewry, uh, quite quite a, quite a history. And so uh, Esther and Mordechai, uh, their families evidently migrated from, you know a little ways east from uh, Babylon to uh, Persia. Uh, and so it certainly um, uh, makes sense that they were, they were there. Now, the book of Esther gives us some insight, uh, therefore, into an example of how to handle seemingly the absence of God in given situations or this delay of God uh, seemingly coming or, or coming in and fixing the world and, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and finally bringing an end to uh, all of the things that, uh, that we're concerned about. And certainly we live in a world that has plenty of them, right? Plenty of issues where we uh, wonder, not, not just world issues, but in our own community or in our own lives, in our own family. And we say, where is God? Why doesn't he do something? I can't tell you how many times the most well-meaning people, when they're hurting, when they're hurting, will say, we we'll never say this when they're not hurting but when they're hurting we'll say I just don't understand why God is allowing this to happen you know and may I suggest that when people are hurting they're not actually thinking theologically or ready for a book theory uh, you, you know what I mean uh, and uh, and it's, it's just this visceral response to hurt and pain right where is God and so the book of Esther is I think helpful, uh, helpful in this. Okay, so when we think about the fact that we're waiting for we're wait, we have this expectation that God is going to do something and it doesn't seem to happen. You have you have here in Esther you have a crisis, right? Uh, uh, God, you know Mordecai uh, voices God God will bring help from somewhere, but it doesn't. But it's not happening. You know it's not happening yet. Where is God? There's a crisis. Where is God? There's another one earlier on in Jewish history, way earlier on in Jewish history, where there seems to be a delay, and people don't at, don't respond. The uh, people don't respond really the way that uh, uh, Esther and Mordechai respond, and that is of course the golden calf. Right? They're waiting. They're they're waiting for Moses to return. It's seemingly, Moses. They give up. Moses is not going to return. So the first thing we could say is they give up. <laughs> they give up and they figure something else out. You know what, what do we do now that it's se- that seemingly God is absent? So they come up with their own plan uh, based in the, from their own world and their own culture in, in what they're going to do. and they stop waiting and they stop. Waiting, right? I think that, that for some of us, uh, we may, from time to time, fall into that category a little bit where we just stop waiting and we just figure it out, figure it out on our own and uh, act as if God is not here, that God is not present. And so I will use just my own ingenuity uh, and, uh, and figure it out. Right? Now, the difference between the golden calf and Esther is is first... I, we see a, um, a response to a situation, yes, where God seems absent, but where uh, Mordecai, in particular, recognizes this hidden face of God, Recognize recognizes that even though we are living outside of the land, even though we are not in uh, Jerusalem, even though we are a... Um, a people that are being tolerated uh, in, uh, in, you know, in another land, that uh, God uh, is indeed aware of our situation, and even though that we don't see him, uh, we know that uh, he is there. Kind of like Job, right? You know, I know my Redeemer lives. Uh, and, um, uh, or even like Habakkuk, we could say. Uh, uh even even like Habakkuk. So I uh, uh, he is aware of the situation, right? And in some way, shape, or form, he knows that God will provide. And then Esther realizes that she's been placed in the situation to make a difference uh, right now, right? It's not the it's not the consummation, it's one event uh, in history. And it's very interesting, You know, when when you turn to that famous uh, fourth chapter uh, of Esther, it's very interesting, you know, uh, how uh, she responds, right? First, uh, Mordecai says, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. He is sure of this, right? Somehow there'll be deliverance. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. You know, usually when we read this, we focus on the part that says, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But we don't focus on the second part where he says, and you and your father's house will perish. In other words, this is not some kind of a fairy tale uh, story. There's going to be a lot of death involved. That we as a people will not be destroyed but it's going to be bad. It's not just black and white. You know, uh, there's going to be a knight in shining shining armor and we'll all be okay, but maybe you'll be the one who's going to make us all okay. No, he's saying that, you know, according to God's promise, it will not be the extermination of the Jews. It won't be the end of us. But there's going to be a lot of death and destruction. Uh, And then, of course, he says, who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. This strikes Esther. This hits her, you know. Uh, prior to this, she, uh, you know, she was very concerned about making sure that the king doesn't know uh, that she is a Jew. Uh, she sees herself just as I, I guess this is my lot in life. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm the, I'm the queen. But now she sees that there was a reason that she's the queen. There's a reason why she is where she is. Okay, uh, so this is a great lesson. This is a great lesson for us, right? You know what she realizes? She realizes that her becoming queen was not really about her, but it was about a, a grander purposes, greater purposes of God, right? And so, you know, we may be um, we may be uh, living, uh, so to speak, uh, in a in a spiritual diaspora. You know, maybe far away from uh, where we think we ought to be, or maybe we're living in some kind of situation, uh, you know, that is really difficult, and we don't know, you know, uh, why do I, for example, why do I live where I live? What? Uh, You know, I remember many years ago having a conversation with uh, someone, and we were both saying, isn't it amazing we ended up in Columbus, Ohio? Like, whoever thought? You know what I mean? I can tell you, when I was growing up, I did not, there, there was maybe two minutes of my whole life uh, where I maybe thought about Columbus, Ohio. I was like everybody else. You're going to Ohio, Cleveland, Cincinnati, what? Columbus. Oh, there's a college there. Yeah, right. Uh, you know? I, uh, and, 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 or Or maybe we might ask ourselves, why do I have the job that I have? Why am I in this job? Or why is my why is the hand that I've been dealt what it is? This, you know, why am I in this situation? You name the situation, right? Maybe the answer is is because God is at work where you are. You know, maybe it's not about. Oh, I guess He wants me to have this job. Maybe maybe your job or your living situation is not an end unto itself, but rather a vehicle for something that God wants to do. In a relationship that you might have, in, you know, in, in certain opportunities of interacting with people and whatever, wherever you may be, or 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 uh, whatever you know, lot in life you may have, perhaps God is at work, you know, and you are his emissary in some way, shape, or form. And it's not just about the city or the job or the family or the thing, but something else is going on, okay? And that's what's happening uh, uh, with Esther uh, here. She realizes that uh, uh, God has called her uh, to make a difference uh, for her people, where uh, where uh, she is. She did not automatically see it, but finally she comes to the realization of her, we could say, a divine destiny, of this divine destiny to be in a place where she, a reason for being, you know, where she can uh, uh, go to the king, right? So this is very significant and a great lesson for us to learn. This is called providence. This is called how God works in the world, right? Right? Uh, since that captivity, God works in the world through through people. Yes, He may do something, you know, specific, but generally speaking, in life, God works through the decisions that people make, even if they don't even know that uh, they're uh, following along what He would have them to do. And a lot of times, we don't even know that. We don't even know, but but we're like Mordecai. We know. That God is at work, even if I can't see Him, even if I don't feel Him, but I, but because of my understanding of who God is and covenant relationship and covenant faithfulness, I recognize that God indeed uh, is at work. So what does she do? You know, time was of the essence, right? Uh, let's get to work. Well, the first thing she says is, for three days, we want to fast, okay? And I would suggest, you know, fast is short. Fast and pray, right? They they go together in the Bible. Uh, so for three days, three days and three nights, fast. You think Yom Kippur. You know, this is three times. This is like three Yom Kippurs there, right? Okay? Fast and, uh, and pray. So she realizes that this is a work of God. This is not just her coincidentally being in the right place, and now she's got to muster up the courage to, to go and do it, do it, she gets the vision. Mordecai has inculcated this vision right, of the work of God. Right? Uh, and so, uh, fasting three days and three nights. Fasting is a very important... That's another great lesson that we learn from the book of Esther. Uh, the importance of being spiritually prepared for whatever it is that uh, uh, we're going to do. Uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, we may be involved in all kinds of maturations of life and of things and that, that take place. I wonder how much we really think about fasting and praying, you know, in our decision making or before we have to do something really important or, uh, or, or anything. I wonder how often we pray. Uh, uh, No less fast and pray, right? And, you know, so fasting is a great lesson here. You know, the denial, it's about the denial of self when we're fasting. It's not about not eating. It's not a mechanical, just a mechanical thing about not eating, right? Uh, Like when you're fasting uh, before uh, some kind of medical procedure. It's a different kind of fasting, right? Not eating is not is not the same thing as uh, as fasting before God. It's a denial. It's it's a purposeful denial of self, right? Uh, And when we do so, we're relying on God. We're trusting God. We're deepening, you know, our interaction with God. We become sensitive to the things of God. Fasting and prayer can give us clarity in situations. Uh, it can give us uh, spiritual empowerment. And I would suggest in Esther's case, it was all of the above and courage uh, to, go, uh, to, the, to go to the king, right? Uh, and so uh, what we learn here uh, from Esther uh, is that God is uh, indeed present, even if we don't see him and our circumstances don't add up, right? Right? we learn that there is a divine destiny. There's a divine calling on each of us. Uh, Now, there's a general calling. We're called to be godly people. We're called to be emissaries of Messiah. We're called to demonstrate the life of Yeshua wherever we go, right? And and so therefore, wherever you may be, we all need to see ourselves kind of like Esther, that, oh, I've been called to this role, but not just to do this thing but there's a greater purpose in my life, you know? Uh, And so she recognized this divine destiny that we all, in a way, uh, all, in a way, share, right? Uh, We realize, we learn from Esther, uh, that it requires time with God. You can't just muster it up. You can't just say, okay, you know, I haven't prayed, I haven't read the Bible. Uh, I'm not really in what I understand in my heart to be in fellowship with God, but now I'm ready for action. It doesn't work that way. It has to be cultivated. It has to be cultivated. Uh, whether it's a long time, it's not about how long, but there has to be some kind of cultivation of uh, you know of, of a walk with God, right? Uh, and th- that God w- does not uh, leave us alone and that God uh, understands our situations. Uh, and so... You know, uh, back to Habakkuk, Habakkuk uh, tells us what to do in the meantime, right? He tells us that there's going to be this delay. And of course, what we have in Esther really is an example of what Habakkuk is talking about. When you go back to that book, and I don't know if you're uh, aware of this or not. Some of you probably are, that uh, after he says, after he says, For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it certainly will come. It will not delay. It is interesting, by the way, right? It's coming. It's like a freight train coming. It hastens toward the goal. And But then, right after that, it says, though it tarries. Though it seems to be taking a long time. Wait for it. And then it says, it will come. It will be on time, right? So, what does he say right after that? He says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the righteous one will live by his faith or better faithfulness. Right? So, what is Habakkuk saying? Wait for it. Okay? Wait for it. It's going to come. And in the meantime, live faithfully. Okay? Live faithfully. And that is what Mordecai and Esther. Demonstrate this idea of living, living faithfully uh, outside of the land, in a place where there is a great danger of annihilation. Right, live faithfully. They didn't just try to figure something out. Right, you know another great lesson. Just um, uh, in, in closing here is even though they were living in uh, in uh, Persia. They really didn't see themselves as Persians. It's very interesting. They did not see themselves as Persians. And I would suggest that that played into their understanding uh, that uh, God was going to provide for them. If they saw themselves as Persians, perhaps then they would have gone to the civil authorities and said, this is not right. But rather than that, they they placed their lot with God and then took uh, personal responsibility and acted. They didn't just fast for three days and then did nothing. And they didn't just do something, (laughs) but they fasted for for, uh, three days, right? So, you know, it is kind of interesting that um, in, I believe, it's in the third chapter of uh, Esther. Let's find that again here. In the third chapter, Haman says, don't say, boo! Right? Wait a minute. I think I just thought of it. Uh, it says there. Is, yes, in verse 8. Esther 3.8. Notice what Haman says to the king. How Haman describes the Jewish people. You know, this whole thing wasn't just simply about Mordecai not bowing down. And so we'll kill all the Jews from India to Ethiopia at 127 provinces. There's something else going. on, Right? And what is that? This is what Haman says to the king. There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples of all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of other people, and they do not observe the king's laws, so it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. That's a very interesting statement. First of all, it's an overstatement. It's not exactly true. The the Jews were not rebelling against uh, the king, but clearly the Jews were different. This is a different people, right? And it was because they were different people because they look different, they dress different, they certainly ate different, right? Uh, and they worship different. This is a cl- classic uh, example of, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in this context, uh, uh, anti Jewish uh, uh, understanding. And, and Mordecai is just sort of like epitomizes, you know, the, the, the whole thing, right? Uh, and, and so, very interesting. Uh, there's a lot of things we could say about that. Uh, one is, one of the things that all these empires did for the Jewish people was always remind the Jewish people that they, were, that they were different. Always reminding them that they were, uh, you, you know, uh, a, a different group of people. And so, Mordechai, uh, you know, uh, clearly knew that he served a different king, uh, other than uh, Achashverosh, so in our time, there's like five or six lessons we could learn from that. But I'm only going to mention one: that as uh, believers in Yeshua, do people see us as a different people? Do people do? Do we see ourselves as a different people? Do we see ourselves as a people called called by God? Right? We live uh, in a, in a particular land for for a particular purpose that God has given us? And are we advancing the cause of Messiah in the land that God that we live in, recognizing that this is not our quote-unquote home, kind of like the Jews in Persia? And this is what motivated Mordecai and Esther uh, to act. And that's a great lesson for us and a great question you know, for us. How do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves like Esther and Mordecai? Do we see ourselves as people called of God, living in a particular place as a people? Uh, uh, do we see that uh, you know, even though we're not in, in uh, the land of Israel uh, that, and we're not in a promised land, uh, that God does have his hand upon us? I hope we do. And I hope we realize that and that we're not on our own and that our primary identity is being an image bearer of God and Messiah Yeshua. I hope that we see ourselves in that way first and foremost. What great lessons we learn from Esther. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, thank you, God, that Your hand reaches everywhere. Thank you, uh, uh, God, that uh, we learn uh, from this uh, this uh, wonderful uh, book of Esther. Uh, God, that uh, even though it seems like, you know, when are you ever going to come back? When is when is something going to happen? Thank you, Lord, that uh, uh, in your sovereign, uh, in your sovereignty, uh, you're, you uh, you are still waiting, uh, Lord, uh, and you've given us time in this world to demonstrate what it means to know you. Uh, you've given us uh, the opportunity to share the good news. I pray, Lord, that we are that we realize. That uh, the day is going to come. But you've given us, as Messiah followers, you've given us a divine destiny. Not just an end destiny, but but a destiny of, of living, just like Esther. May we make a difference where we live uh, for the cause of Messiah Yeshua. God, may we realize that you today work through human beings. God, uh, and not that you know we may not understand it, but there is purpose in this delay. And it is not, you know, uh, you, you are not absent, but you are indeed here. And we are the ones who are called to testify of it, God. May we do so. May we be people who fast and pray. May we be people of courage. May we be people uh, who indeed make a difference. Uh, uh, one person we pray, Size. Them.